Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our podcast, Gathering Ground. In each new episode, a special guest and I explore what it looks like to survive and, more importantly, to thrive in the nonprofit landscape. I'm Mary Morton, president of Morton Group LLC, a national consulting group based in Chicago, where we focus on nonprofits and for profits and foundations, particularly in the areas of racial equity, executive placements, organizational development, and research. On today's episode, we'll be talking to Darlene Nipper, CEO of Rockwood Leadership Institute. With over 25 years of leadership and advocacy experience, Darlene joined Rockwood in 2012 as a member of the training team. She previously served as Deputy Executive Director of the National LGBTQ Task Force, Executive Director of the BET Foundation, Chief Operating Officer at the National Association for Mental Illness, and was Director of LGBT Affairs in the Executive Office of the Mayor of D.C. Darlene hails from Washington, now lives on the West Coast, and is also an ordained interfaith minister. She practices mindfulness meditation, deep presence, and living joy. Please welcome Darlene Nipper to Gathering Ground. Hey, Darlene. Hey, Mary. Thanks for having me. Well, it's so exciting to have this chance to talk to you. Um, One of the things I love about this podcast is I get to have conversations with all the people I really love and admire and have deep respect for. So um, thank you. Thank Thank you. you so much for joining us today. And generally, we like to start our conversations with just understanding how you got from point A to point C. Where did you grow up? What kinds of things did you do that have led you to the work that you're doing today? Mm, thanks for that. You know, um, the only way I can talk about my story is to talk about D.C. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a native of D.C. And by the way, I still live in D.C. I just spend a lot more time on the okay. West Coast. Okay. Let's be clear. You have <laughs> not left D.C. Okay. <laughs> that's my that's my story anyway. I'm sticking to that part. Um, I am from a little place in D.C. called Berry Farm. It's in Anacostia, east of the Anacostia River. And my story basically begins with my two grandmas. I have one grandma who was the candy lady, okay? Uh, (laughs) That meant that she was an entrepreneur in the projects, okay? Mm -hmm. We called her the candy lady because the kids knew that you could get candy. But the truth is she was providing sundries to people who really didn't have access to Mm. a real store of any real substance. Right. Right. Um, Those, those, those housing projects are kind of isolated. I mean, right now they just tore it down. You know, they put Homeland security on the other side of it anyway. So they, I mean, they haven't really torn it down, but they closed it down and they're about to probably develop it. But anyway, at that time it was pretty isolated and you know, so that's one grandmother. She ran the store out of, you know, you wrap on the back do- back window, mm-hmm. she the window and the little wrappers would come out, tell you the prices of everything. You point to what you want. She'd go back and get it and get it for you. And you put your little quarter or whatever you needed in there. Um, so I love that grandma. Then my other grandmother was basically, in my mind, the only person that had real grass growing in their yard. Okay. Uh-huh. The way that I remember that project in my, in uh-huh. my early years was a lot of dust and dirt. And somehow, in the middle of all of that, she grew and maintained a manicured lawn. Wow. You know, and so, mm-hmm. you know, like I come from leadership, you know, cause, because to me, uh, that's, that's leading by example. That's absolutely, that's like just, you know, and they, they didn't have the words that we use now, Mary. They didn't talk about like, any of that. It, they just did what needed to be done. 
in order to better the community, right? right? And that was it. They didn't want any fanfare. They didn't ask for anything in return. So that I got to start there. And my mother was um, like a, 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 our two, our first two practices are purpose and vision. My mother was the best example you could ever have in your life of somebody being a thousand percent on purpose. She decided she wanted to have kids and a family. She wanted to provide, she wanted to bring something to her family that she didn't get. And from start to finish, she died in uh, December of 2017. So very recently from start to to finish, Mary, though, she did the doggone thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. mama was like, I don't want to raise y'all in the projects moved us out. I want to build like family and community, develop the community. They were still friends with their friends from childhood, from when black folks got moved from Georgetown to Southwest and then from Southwest to Southeast. Now, well, let me give you a history about DC. <laughs> okay. But the used to, you know, Uniontown, which is Anacostia now, used to be called Uniontown. And it was like a little location for white railroad workers. Oh, okay. Then when, then when they figured out, I'm not going to say who they is, but when people figured out that Georgetown was fabulous, yes, became a special place, and everybody got pushed along the water because DC mm-hmm. flanked by two rivers, and right. uh, Potomac on the west, Anacostia on the east, pushed right along, right into Anacostia, and it became what it is today, which is a predominantly African American community. So. I'm from that, you know, that's a special place. Um, I claim it it everywhere. And I ended up at Rockwood um, really because I was the deputy at, actually it's Russell's fault, Russell Roybal. Let's talk about You know, let's just call him out right now. (laughs) I'm going along, minding my business, being a deputy. Uh Doing your own thing. Doing my thing and Russell says, I know a program for you. And I'm like, you know, when Russell says it in that voice, I'm scared, mm-hmm, but okay. Mm-hmm, and he mm-hmm. said, no, 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 it's Rockwood. I just, I just think you'll be a real match. And he um, had gone through a special project that they had let, um, they had done a, a, Rockwood had done a year long for LGBT leaders and he had gone through it or something like that. And he said, you should go to anything that they do. And when something came up, he was able to nominate me or suggest my name. And I just said, okay, because Russell said it was a good idea to go through it. But when I went through, I was, my, my whole world was, I was transformed by the experience. And I'm kind of a naysayer. So when I was transformed, I was shocked myself. I was like, I'm transformed. Wow. This is amazing. If it can work with me. It can work there's... with anyone. Because, <laughs> you know, we come, I come from where I just told you. And, you know, not that much comes our way. And. I'm not expecting, you know, and of course I had had lots of, you know, great experiences and all of that. I've been, you know, in some ways a leader all along, but still attached to my lived experience coming from, you know, from a small child. I I just don't think everything is going to work for people like me um, compared to some other people. So, you know, that uniqueness or whatever. I got in there with those folks, Mary, it was so amazing. I was so excited that at that moment, we did an exercise around vision and Mm -hmm. I coined the phrase Rockwood for the hood. Ah, And I I said, I am going to make Rockwood available to people like me for real, but not me. You know what I mean? Like people like my grandmother's me, people people who work at community organizations dealing with things like tenant rights. So people who work in at the state level or the Mm -hmm. local level to change ordinances there and 
you know, people who were like on the ground doing stuff. So I thought that my thing that I was going to do was to, you know, borrow, let's call it to be kind, borrow some of their stuff and go do my thing in D.C. for folks from where I'm from. Long story short, a few moments later, Akaya Winwood, who was the executive director then, uh, uh, the executive, uh, the CEO and president then, mm-hmm. um, we're in, you know, she comes to meet the, the, the folks in the program and she says, gosh, what are you interested in doing? And we get to talking and next thing I know, next. I'm a trainer. I'm a trainer. Yes. That was the next. Joined the, joined the team as a trainer. Uh-huh. And it was a, that was great. And I'm learning and growing. Then the next thing I know, we have another conversation. She says, well, what are you really thinking about for your future, though? And that's when the CEO role and the partnership between the two of us was born. And um, I told her re- for real, I said, I want to be I want to do what you do. I want to be like you. You're doing. I mean, this is amazing what you're doing, you know. And um, she she was happy about that because she had been thinking about transitioning. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to come back to that piece. That, that is a great um, place to, to hold that for a moment, because I do want to talk in in particular about the succession plan. As you know, I mentioned that to you quite some time ago, because it's really important in our organizations and we don't do enough of that kind of planning. So we're going to come back to that. Um, I wanted you to talk a little bit though, to give our, our listeners an idea of what the work is of uh, Rockwood. How would you describe the work? Um, and yeah, just give us an overview of the work. Yeah, well, it's leadership It's leadership development work. It's leadership training and supports to those folks who are basically people who are trying to change the world. So we work predominantly with folks who are in social change organizations or social justice organizations, people who are really attempting to make our country and our world a better place for, for all of us. Um, it could be civil rights organizations. It could be, you know, folks working around immigration. It can be LGBTQ, whatever the issues are. Um, those are the people that we work with. And our primary focus is to give them the leadership supports that will allow them to do the work that they do. But our primary focus is we want to make a better world for everybody. And we want to make sure that there is equity and liberation and joy and, you know, a powerful collective and broad leadership for everyone as we move forward. So that's our work. And the way that we do that is by doing um, leadership retreats. Basically, we get together to get together a group of people, 20, usually about 20, 20 to 30 people. And we work with them in a group, uh, usually across different organizations. And we have a set of practices um, that we uh, train around, and they are the core of how we do our, our work. It's a residential setting, so we tend to take people away from their day-to-day activities and put you for about four four days or so, four or five days, into a nice retreat setting so that the individual who's in the, the workshop can actually really, you know, to spend all of their time and energy focused on developing themselves and uh, developing their capacity to work better and more effectively collaboratively. So that's, that's, that's pretty much what we do. And we have week longs, and then we also have a model that we call fellowships, which are multi-session. So it would be like maybe in a year, you would go through three week longs and we might do some individual work with you um, in between the sessions. Um, Mm -hmm. But Individual coaching? Yeah, coaching usually, there's a lot of data out about the impact that coaching has. Coaching has the ability to 
help to sort of anchor in the learning that people get in a training setting. You know, one of the challenges about training is that how do you keep what it is? Exactly. Absolutely. And, and coaching really helps that. So we do a lot of coaching in between and and connecting people with each other in between so that they stay grounded in the work that we're doing in the week-long session. Well, that sounds um, so needed. Um, I do executive coaching, and um, whenever I ask, uh, and particularly it happens with women, and I will say probably with women of color, Mm -hmm. um, when I say, how are you doing, and how are you taking care of yourself, Mm -hmm. um, often they start crying. Mm, Because one, no one has asked them that question, and and, and they they don't think they have the time right, to do anything around self-care because they're running an organization. And and in some cases, they're new um, executive directors or new senior staff. And just the um, everyday work and, and stress that they're feeling has completely taken any sort of self-care off of their, um, off, off of their radar screen. And, and as you know, it, it's so important. I love that you get people outside of their... Uh, regular spaces. Uh, we, we used to do something here called executive treats where we would try to do that as well because you have to get people away from their office, right? Get them away from the phone and, yep. and get them to turn the corner. I would assume it takes people a little bit of time to get into the space mm-hmm. and to really, really um, be present because it, it takes a while to disconnect from everything that they've been working with. Is that yep. what you've noticed? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we have designed an arc of the training that helps to move people mm-hmm. through that process. And, and it's so interesting. I mean, I kind of got weepy when you, when you said the thing about how people show up with you when you ask that question, um, because really that's a core of our work. And one of the things that we're known for is a concept that we, um, uh, one of our practices is named after this concept that we have called personal ecology. Really, I was going to ask you about that was my next question. So we can just go right there. I, I love that and want you to talk about that. Let me tell you something that is so core to the Rockwood approach and ethos that um, and 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 a third thing, what people need now and frankly have needed over the history of our nearly 20 years. So it's it's it, right now i feel like people are incredibly exhausted in particular roles in our in our country right now given all that's going on but the truth is personal ecology is really important we decided at some point you know with our founders actually that this notion of ecology because uh, our founding actually happened with environmental activists and environmental advocates mm-hmm. it was like starting with that group um, because that was where our founders were interested at the time. And so they thought ecology is a great frame for thinking about how we take care of ourselves and each other. Mm-hmm. And so they coined this phrase personal ecology to align with, instead of self-care saying personal ecology, to align with the notion of thinking of ourselves as a whole system, the way that mm-hmm. you think of ecology like and, and nature. It's like it's not just one thing that brings you to a place of balance or equanimity or whatever the word is that works for, for you, there are right. multiple factors. And so one reason why we do this, this retreat out in wherever we are in these retreat centers and whatnot is because people can be in nature and right. they can get a chance to exhale. And I just did a training with um, uh, women in racial justice work. Um, 
and the 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 collective exhale that happened in that in that uh, retreat among predominantly women of color um, was so profound that I can feel it with almost like a chill in me now that like we created space for them to actually take time for themselves. It's like it's built into our week. So, you know, you don't have to make a decision. We're making it for you. You're going to take this time. Okay. You know? I love that. I love that idea. And making a decision, as you know, can be very difficult to do when you are completely stressed out. You think so? I don't sometimes know? we do nothing. I know. Right. I'm one of those people. I'm like, I. I okay. As I'm saying it to you, and I'm saying it to me. Exactly. Exactly. You know, here we are. That's right. You know, part and parcel of the uh, group of people that we're talking about. And um, exactly. I do think it's particularly hard for um, female-identified people of color to. Uh, to take that space. There's so many external pressures. There's the, you know, systems of oppression that are operating depending on where you are in your organization, how new you are. Sometimes people get what we call imposter syndrome. They, Absolutely. You know, they have that feeling that maybe they should be the one in the role and, you know, all kinds of things are going on with folks. So this area of ecology and understanding one's own system and one's system in relationship to other systems that are relevant and important, the organization, the family, et cetera, is so important for our leaders. Because ultimately, did you know that in the, at least in social change work, uh, most of the people that are doing the work burn out before they get a chance to fully um, learn all of the skills and, and um, ins and out of the work. Absolutely. <laughs> I am aware of that for many reasons. That's right. Because we know that lots of folks, for instance, are leaving particularly folks of color, are leaving philanthropy. And they're not going to another foundation. They're leaving it all together. And so we're losing those folks, which is why 80% of the foundations are, are, are run by white folks. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 if you think about that, you think about how much money, resources we're wasting because we're burning people out. You know, people are treading through. Then you have to go through a whole process to try to, of course, if it's a foundation, try to figure out what, what, what's the problem, even though we all mm-hmm. know what the problem is, right. but you're going to try to figure it out again. <laughs> and then you got to come back and try to put something in place. And then you have to try to hire somebody. Then they leave again because the system is not really ready to absorb the, the beautiful creativity and challenge and complexity of the people that we're trying to liberate into these great new roles, right? Into leadership. Like we want to have, you know, these liberated bodies that move in a way aligned with all of our practices and principles, you know, what, what's my purpose and vision and how does that align with the organization? And can I be in my full ecology? But we don't have organizations that are ready for that either. You know, Exactly. No, that's true. Organizations operating in this old frame. So this is one of the most important of the six practices that we have um, that we're working with right now in this personal ecology. I would say that and resilience, and they're related because resilience is kind of like our ability to access the many, all of the resources that we have to uh, address whatever is, is in front of us as leaders. That's how we define it. Right. So it's like, can I access my full complement of resources to address whatever is in front of me? Well, that means a lot of bouncing back from crises after crisis. These people are working. You, you, you coaching. So, you know, mm-hmm. they're working in extremely challenging, complex dynamics where crisis after crisis after crisis. 
That's right. And we don't want them to be only operating from the, uh, the what do they call it? The amygdala or uh, the uh, lizard brain from uh -huh. way back. We want them to have all access to the full knowledge and live bodily experience that they have, everything that they know, and be able to like freshly address everything so that they can, you know, get go through these crises and challenges and hits and come back still being who they are, all joyful and stuff. That's how I feel now. I'm like, because I'm working at Rockwood, though. You see what I mean? Right, right, exactly. Well, that's an incredible environment to be in. And this idea of the personal ecology really lifts up the uh, the ideas and concepts around interconnectedness, right? That that they're you're tied to what you know nature and the environment and and being your authentic self. Yeah, it's it's it, it, that's really. I, I, I mean, we're using the individual to do our work. So the individual is like, if you think about a theory of change, the individual is mm -hmm. like a, one of the, the points of entry that we make into this work. But the, the idea, our own purpose, is to have more connected leaders. Because again, your ability to connect to your environment and to other people is going to increase your capacity to live out the full dreams and vision that you have. And we know that the visions that many of us have, we can't do them alone. So understanding the full complement of everything you have to offer and being able to bring that, that that's the resilience, the, the understanding that system of ecology is the personal ecology. And what do I need as an individual, both from myself and from others, in order to fully participate in the ecology that, that you know, the system that I'm operating in? And the resilience is how do I bounce back when some, because this happens all day, every day, when crisis happen and there's stress in the system and, you know, you're being knocked around by everything that's happening. You got to have some tools to get you back into a centered place so that you can make decisions based on the full resources that you have available to you instead of just making decisions that are like, you know, um, I'm, I'm scared to death because this has happened to me. Exactly. Talk about myself, y'all. I'm scared mm -hmm. to death because I know that 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 the last time I made a mistake over here, you know, it turned into a big issue in the movement, you know. So I'm just not going to do anything. I've had exactly. that. We all have. That's not that's not helping to move the movement forward or no. to bring the best out of me as an authentic individual and leader, and to bring the best out of the teams that I'm working with. So. I mean, how can I complain about having to do this, getting getting to do this for work, Mary? It's like, this is what I do all day. I talk it, about it really, this all day. It sounds extraordinary, and it sounds, uh, it's, it's inspirational, it's aspirational. I would think that people, unless they've experienced it, may be a little leery, just as you were that first time. And so tell me, before we take our break, how can someone experience the Rockwood Leadership Institute? Well, first of all, a very simple way is to just go on the website and we list uh, a minimum of 10 to 15 trainings per year that are just week-long trainings that you can sign up for. Anyone can sign up for them and based on availability, we'll get you in there, get you come in on a Monday afternoon, end on a Friday midday, and you will get a nice taste of Rockwood. Um, and then there are other ways too, but that's the easiest way to just get a taste of what's, what's happening there. And you can go on our web website and explore it because there's also all of our concepts are there. You know, you can see some of the people who've gone through there. There's lots of information about what we do, how we do it, and who is actually um, participating in the work that we're doing. 
And then how do you bring the special cohorts together? Because again, you, I know you've done some work in Chicago and, and we can just talk a little bit about that. How, how do folks in, in other communities, certainly outside of where you're, you're based or anywhere around the country, how would, how would someone be in a, and I put this in quotes, more of a special cohort than, than coming into it from, you know, just signing up for a session? Well, you won't believe this, but we we still aren't doing any real marketing. I know it's just so. This is like this is how we're a lot like the way you can't we, see me shaking my head right now. <laughs> That's incredible. We're we're just like the way we used to be when the two two guys were sitting wow. in the kitchen with the table. In fact, I am sitting right now at the table that was the original table that the two founders of Rockwood started at. It was the kitchen table of Andre Carruthers. And Robert Gass was with him, and I'm sitting at that table now because we refuse to let this table go. Because it's absolutely fun. not; it's part of the history. I so can. We, it looks like you're outside, actually. I well, can, that, the that, background that, looks. Here at Rockwood, we learned from from information from uh, data that even a picture of nature. <laughs> <laughs> it it does matter. It absolutely does matter. I I, I absolutely agree with that. That's great. So anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I digress. You were trying to get me a. What I was trying to say about getting into our programs and the specialized programs is that we're still doing two things. We have a national leadership program that's a cross-sector program. It's word of mouth. That's where I was getting. So basically, people who have gone through nominate people, and we get new people in that way for that program. Then for our other programs like Chicago, what we like to do, and I'm glad that I'm having this conversation with you because I know it's going to get out there, is if someone in a local community actually wants Rockwood in their community to just reach out to us directly. There is a person on our website whose name is Sharon Price. Go on the website, click on Sharon Price. There's also like a couple of places that ask you if you want to know about our programs, click here and the information goes to her. And just tell her you want to bring this to your community and, and get a conversation going about how to do that. But that's pretty much the way that we do all of our work. We, people reach out to us and ask us questions I have done an overall strategy that helps to guide the direction of like a vision and strategy that helps to guide the direction of where we're interested. Well, we believe very strongly in the notion of putting our vision out into the world and seeing what comes back to us. And so I've put a vision out in the world for open, opening Rockwood up as open access, how to, how to get more and different people into our programs. And it's remarkable. We now have about five different programs that are happening at the state or local level. And um, programs like what we did in Chicago, you know, just um, last year in the fall. And actually, Akaya was one of the last things she did before she left the organization fully, co-trained it. But we did a couple of partners got together with us and we did a something that we call cult, Cultivate Women of Color Leadership, Art of Leadership Program. It was amazing. And had all of these folks, about I think about 20, 24 of them get together who are from Chicago to come and we you, we did the tools that we just talked about. Um, so feel Excellent. free to reach out on our website and, and, and let us know what you're interested in and we'll, we'll have a partnership conversation, which by the way, partnership is another one of our very important practices. So deepening our capacity to partner effectively and with joy um, is a part of what we like to do as well. Well, and let me just say the other ones before we take a short break. So it's purpose, resilience, vision, performance, which I, I'm interested in that, but we'll, we'll have to save that one, partnership and personal ecology. 
Um, those are the core principles uh, that you use. And I just want to um, say that I heard wonderful things, as I have for many, many years, of course, about Rockwood. And and uh, I know some of the people that participated in the Chicago cohort, and they thought it was extraordinarily valuable. Um, so go to rockwoodleadership.org if you're interested. Again, the website is rockwoodleadership.org if you're interested in learning more about um, how you can bring Rockwood to your community or how you can attend a session that may be happening around the country. This is Mary Morton. You're listening to Gathering Ground. Today we're speaking with Darlene Nipper, who's the CEO of the Rockwood Leadership Institute, and we'll be back in just a moment. everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on Gathering Ground. We want to hear from you. If you have any questions about your work in nonprofits or any of the topics that we've covered here on Gathering Ground, send them on in. Send them to mary at gatheringgroundpodcast.com. That's mary at gatheringgroundpodcast, all one word, dot com. We look forward to hearing from you. Welcome back. I'm Mary Morton, and you're listening to our podcast, Gathering Ground, featuring conversations about the nonprofit landscape, philanthropy, diversity, racial equity, and inclusion. In this episode, we're joined by Darlene Nipper, CEO of Rockwood Leadership Institute. So Darlene, um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, on the first half of our conversation was um, coming to Rockwood as a training um, member, right? A member of the training team, I should say. And uh, you started to talk to the, at that time, CEO, Akaya Winwood, and said, I'd like to do what you're doing. Tell us how that conversation moved along so that you are now the CEO of Rockwood Leadership Institute. Well, uh, you know, Akaya is a very special person. So Akaya, you know, when she heard, she asked me what I was thinking about doing and you know, and she, when she heard me say, I want to do what you're doing, she, uh, she said to me, wow, you know, that was, that was like great timing, something along those lines, because I've been thinking about, uh, you know, setting up a succession plan, really just thinking about like, how will I transition? And so we just started to have the conversation about the possibility of transitioning. And, you know, one conversation led to another until we were, the next thing I knew I was in front of the board as, um, a, a potential uh, person to partner lead with Akaya. And, um, and so, you know, we went from having multiple conversations with each other about what's possible to, to, to being in that room and making a decision um, as an organization to have someone partner lead with Akaya first and then to move on from there. And, um, and, and uh, we did a plan and, you know, a whole, you know, like I said, conversations with the board about it and set up a whole trajectory around how we would do that. And uh, I, I can't say enough about the overall concept of doing that because I thought about it before, but I actually hadn't really done it in that concrete a way. Um, the previous place that I had worked, the, the idea of succession plan came around like uh, setting up a structure where Russell and I were in place in those roles just but there wasn't as much um, specific conversation about intentionality, intentionality around, mm -hmm. okay, this is what's going to happen. This is when it, right. it possibly will happen. And here's right. how we, you know, here's how we're going to prepare ourselves for 
the eventual transition because that's right. part of the part of the, the situation too. You have to be prepared. You can be in the role and not fully be prepared. But I think that because Akaya and I, uh, you know, chose to partner lead, it allowed me to get a lot of experience in the culture and systems of the organization before actually ended up making a different decision as a board and organization, which is to have one leader now because it feels right for the organization. Right. right. And, and isn't it wonderful that um, the organization is adaptive and flexible and you can go from the model of having um, director sharing power to uh, a single leader um, at the helm of the organization. I, I know that um, there was an article uh, in Nonprofit Quarterly um, about some of the work that you um, have been involved with during the succession plan, and in particular, um, that uh, Sean, who I just had on um, about, I think, two guests yes. ago, who I love, yes. the, I love him and I love the work of the Building Movement Project. It's so extraordinary and so needed, as you know. Um, absolutely. They're amazing. Absolutely. And I, and I think at least once every episode, I mentioned building movement project. I, I'm pretty sure I, I told him I, you know, I need to be put on payroll or something. So, <laughs> so one of the five insights you share, and I just want to highlight one of them is sharing leadership is not only about the individual leader sharing power. It is also an organization wide ethos. Now talk a little bit about that, because I think sometimes we get very caught up in and when, first of all, when there is an opportunity to co-direct, which is still new for many people, and mm -hmm. it has to really be very thoughtfully executed, uh, because as you can imagine, uh, things can go uh, in a ways that we, we certainly didn't plan and, 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 and don't want them to go. And so I think the thoughtfulness in putting together this model is, is important for people to hear about. So I, I would love for you to talk a little about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what I meant in sharing that was really that if the organization hasn't really talked much about partnership, mm -hmm. if it's not the way that the organization has con conceived or thought of itself, then there may be some work to do just around what partnership is and what it means and all of that organization wide, because it feels odd, frankly, to just you know, come to an organization that maybe perhaps hasn't worked that way in the past with this new concept, as you say, that's still new for a lot of people. Since we had partnership as one of our practices, I think it in some ways was easier to, to, to sort of sell, if you will, the idea in the organization about, well, we talk about partnership all the time. Why wouldn't we do partnership at the, you know, in leading the organization overall? And that's really uh, how we went about it, I think, was to just bring that whole idea in there. And one thing that we learned is that it's not just about us. Like the, we, It's what we teach about leadership in general. It's like you, leader, so to speak, impact everyone else. <laughs> so, exactly. So, right. so it's like you can work on your stuff and be happy as you want to be about whatever you're doing. But if you're not considering the whole then you might be missing opportunities to, you know, get better results, to get better results with more joy, which is what we um, offer to people in our trainings. We, that's what we tell people. We want you to get that. We want you to experience the results you're trying to experience and to do it with joy, to have a, a great experience actually getting the results that you're working for. And so we actually um, brought 
other folks into it. We did that article with Sean and others and um, tried to talk about the whole idea, both of succession planning as much as we could, and also just about the notion of partnership. It's why we didn't use the term co-director. I was wondering about that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We decided to frame our way of being um, in the roles as partner leading. Um, just sticking with who we are. It's like just our organization's uh, you know, theory of change, the work that we do. We felt like it would resonate more with the whole of the organization, trainers, mm -hmm. staff, the right. folks who come to our programs, the board, right. if we stick within the context of the way that we do the rest of our work. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the things that I've noticed, um, I actually was someone who was on the receiving end or the, um, how should I say this? I, I was the one who felt the impact of an organization not having a succession plan uh, at, at the foundation here where I was the associate director and, and no one had ever thought about it. Because as you know, people often are hesitant to bring up anything around succession because it's a sign of betrayal or you're, you're leaving the organization. You don't care about us anymore. Yeah. As opposed to really understanding that it is because I care so much about this organization and I wanna make sure that it continues being successful that we're gonna make a plan for not um, if, but when I leave the organization and, and let's put that plan into place before you need it. Because after a director or leader has announced that they're leaving and you start to talk about succession planning, as you know, it's a very different conversation. It's really fraught in a very different way, um, with emotions. And so yep. having a plan before you need it is what I say. I can't tell you how many times, um, when, when, when I'm working with organizations. And if a leader has decided to confide in me and say, I think I want to leave in the next 17 months, my first question is, do you have a succession plan? And if not, mm -hmm. let us work on that immediately before you make this public. Because once you go to the board and, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's, you know, the train has left the station essentially. And so yeah. what was the timeline yeah. for your, was it a year, two years that you, you did the partnership leading? Yeah, we did partner leading for two years. We had originally in our plan talked about doing it for a year, but as we, again, we included the board in our conversations about this. And as we sort of experienced everything, the board thought that what we ought to do is rather than a year with me in another role that wasn't CEO, actually within about six months of my starting, I, I was made CEO and Akaya maintained the, the title of president. And part of what we did was we very specifically delineated the roles that we had. And then we would actually have two years of, you see what I'm saying? Then we ended up having two years of experience right. of being, you know, working together mm -hmm. with me getting a lot more experience than if Akaya had felt that she was fully responsible for everything, but I was just- Exactly. No, it's and very smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I had done before. You know, I've been a deputy many times. I've been a, a, a executive director and stuff too. But the point is I've been a deputy. So, but there's a different feeling and Absolutely. a different shared experience. So we just tried it that way. Um, actually, at one point we were having so much fun. We were like, why should we stop? <laughs> you know? Right. Why do you have to leave? Just stay. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and uh, so then there was that point and the board was just like really helped us to you know, be real about like not wanting to get to that point that you were talking about with some of the people you talked to where, you know, uh, the, the point just comes where you're just ready to go, you know, because right. 
Right. You know, you're just ready to go. So exactly. Um, Burnout. What I'll say about plans, though, is like the best laid plans. You, <laughs> you, I suggest to everybody to think about every single aspect that you can possibly think about in your situation and recognize that even then there either, there'll be things that you miss. It's like a strategic plan. You'll plan for something and then something will happen and you'll need something totally different, but you won't have to do everything over. There'll be something, but it won't be every single aspect, which is what you were talking about when nobody has done a plan, when no plan has been done at all. Exactly. It's always best to have a plan. Even if you have to change it, you're starting with a framework. Um, That's so important as opposed to it. And the strategic planning process is a very good example. I often, you know, when people are, we're talking to folks about fundraising and, and someone will say, well, we're trying to get the board to do fundraising and they haven't been a fundraising board and and I, I try to bring them back to reality, saying that you're never going to get the money you used to get from foundations. The greatest right. area of growth is in individual donors. And, and you, as board members, have some of the, um, you, you can provide unrestricted resources. And so this idea that you have to have something to start from, even if you stray from the plan, not having a plan um, means that you're not going to go anywhere with any kind of um, speed or thoroughness. And you want to take the time to think about it. To your point, think about all the, the different possibilities and, and yep. uh, contingency factors so that when it happens, because it will, um, yep. you're, you're prepared. And it doesn't mean that things, to your point again, happen flawlessly, but you have something to fall back on. And you've had some of these difficult conversations and hard conversations with the board. I think people sometimes will say to me, well, I've got a plan. This is a staff person. I said, but you realize you don't make that decision. <laughs> no, certainly not by right. yourself. The board right. is responsible for bringing on and when necessary, uh, terminating the, the executive leader. And yep. you can't work on a succession plan without the board being involved. And so um, th- this is so important for people to hear and for people to plan how they're going to leave an organization. You know, when I talk to folks and they're frustrated and they just want to leave, I'm always saying, okay, you don't want to just walk out of anywhere, right? right. Make a plan. Right. And that is what you hold on to on those days when you think, I just can't go on. I have a plan. I'm going to do this in six months or 12 months yep. or whatever the, the process may be. But having something to look toward, I find uh, personally, as well as when I'm working with clients, it makes it makes a difference. Oh, it makes a huge difference. I. I I don't think I would even um, I I don't I don't know how to be in an organization without without ha- having the board discussion and frankly the whole team discussion the staff discussion because I think even for us um, working with staff we talked about stuff but I learned in retrospect that I could have gotten even better ideas up front mm. from staff. Okay. Before I presented the ideas that me and Akaya had thought through and the board had thought through, it's like, oh, hmm, we could have done a talk about buy-in and that kind of stuff. We could have done like an open idea sharing thing in advance instead of after some of those decisions have been made by the board that would really create like a beautiful organizational culture toward the ultimate goal of having a successful transition. Now, all that being said, um, the the actual experience in terms of, uh, I think, how things went for Rockwood is demonstrated by how well the organization is doing right now. And it's pretty early on. I mean, it's, I mean, technically, Akaya announced in June, and then she didn't, she was out of the organization. I mean, she 
we made the announcement for June, starting July 1. She was, uh, I was in as the, as the sole CEO, so the transition from the two of us to the one of us. She still did a few things to tie up the year. Uh-huh. So she was around for a few things to the end of the year. But again, this all can only happen if you've had some way of dealing with stuff. And, you know, we had, we had something to work with. with, with and, and again, we still had challenges, but we had a lot to work with to begin with because we had that deep experience and relationship. And then, um, so I really think of like December of, of 2018 as like when Akaya really was out of the system. And my experience in the past has been like, I have seen all kinds of ridiculous stuff happen in the first six months after people leave. Oh my goodness. Oh yes. So have I. <laughs> exactly. Ooh. Oh my goodness. Like things that you can't even believe. No, you know? nor can we even say. <laughs> we can't even talk about them publicly. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just unreal some of the stuff that I've seen happen in that period of time. And one of the things that you'll see, and I know other people have noticed beyond you and I, Mary, is a quicker, uh, you know, the first person that comes in is gone. You know, well, you the- it's a phenomenon that we talk about, which is why you have to be thorough. Yes, we've seen yep. it. Yep. Yep. That costs money and resources wasted. You're not focused on the work that you're trying to do. And lots of anxiety. I mean, one of the things, you know, because we do executive searches and we'll say, you know, people always want to do it last week. We need this. We needed this person six months ago. Okay. And let me just say how, um, uh, let's say, frustrated you will be um, if you have to redo the search um, because yeah. someone has left, um, you know, within six months or less than a year. And I said, your funders give you one opportunity to have that happen because they understand it's a phenomenon after a long time leader or founder has left. Yep. But yep. the stress and strain on the staff is extraordinary. You don't want to do that. And you want to go to extreme lengths to avoid having to redo an executive search. So take the time you need up front, put a plan into place. I mean, that's something else that we we don't often call it a search committee. We try to refer to it as a transition committee because it's just not finding the new person. It's also getting the departing leader out and bringing on the new person and making sure, you know, they have a good year. People sometimes think, well, we've appointed our new CEO or executive director, so we can just, you know, we're done. And I, I, no, you have a full year of that person getting acclimated, going through the entire uh, process of what it means to run this organization at least for a year. And people are often yep. surprised by that because they're ready to move on and, and you know, do, go on to the next thing. And it's like, no, you still need to spend some time with this new leader. So well, I, to that to that end, transition is the real topic, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, for us, we recognize that, um, at least I recognize that in addition to everything else we've done, I needed to actually pull in some outside folks to help with this transition process because here's what happens. You're in the new role, even with us having experience, I had so much experience working with Akaya, God bless her with all of her experience that she shared so much with me. It's still different. It's still different because she's not in the system. So now I'm learning the system without Akaya. The things I thought she she was doing, you know, I had thoughts about it, but I learned even more about what she actually held once she was gone. And so I needed support from an outside facilitator. Now, the truth is we have tons of people on our team as trainers and facilitators. So I just used one of my colleagues to come in and hold that space so that I can keep evolving in the role because you know, there's a lot that needs to be done to keep the organization moving steady, you know, like on, on, 
on uh, um, purpose, you know, aligned with the current vision and strategy and making sure that we're achieving the whatever the vision strategy mission is of the organization, depending on what organization you're at. So I got some outside just to hold that like staff are having feelings. Things are changing. Um, Akaya and I were very different people, despite people thinking that we kind of resemble each other or something, which makes no sense. But anyway, you know, it's like, it's like we work together, so we must be like the same person or something. But, you know, we are actually different and people see more and more of who I actually am as a result of me stepping into the space with Akaya not there as, you know, just there. Absolutely. Just, you know, right. different. It's completely different. So they, the, the staff, the system itself needs a time to transition. It needs time to transition. Not just me, not just the board, but the whole system. Darlene, that is so true. And it's one I would just, again, it's just like like minds here. I was saying to someone earlier today, we were, they were asking us about doing an executive search, and they're really trying to avoid having an interim. And I said, I completely understand why you would want to do that. But I want you to know that having an interim um, is considered best practice in some cases after a longtime leader has left. So that we're talking about someone who's been with the organization for 40 years. Whoa. I said, so what the interim could do is create the space. And I mean that literally um, in terms of creating a space for the new person to come in because people have been used to working with this one person. The board has never, most of the board members have only known one executive director. And so mm -hmm. it's it's really something that if you, you can figure out a way to do it, it is not the worst thing in the world. Um, it's not absolutely necessary, but I wanted them to understand that you want to figure out a way to create the space for the new person. And so this idea of the transition, you all were able to handle it in a very different way. You were already there. You were sharing um, leadership and and it just made sense and for so many reasons to do it in the way that you worked with Akaya and, and the board was obviously open to to this kind of model as well. But but it is it is really important for people to understand that you have to make space for the new person. Yeah, man. And it's, it, it's just extraordinary that people can even think that someone who's been in the role for 20, 30, 50, 40, 50 years can leave without a space between that and the new. It just, I, I, I don't get it, but I, 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 but I people, hear it all the time. People are worried about that leadership vacuum, you know, literally, and and really nervous about what might happen. And I I do workshops around succession planning. I just think it's, it is the must-have conversation uh, that we are most reluctant to have. And therefore, you know, we see our organizations just going through this cycle of, leadership turnover, or people really having unusually rocky starts. I mean, there's going to be mm -hmm. some rockiness. There's no way around it. Mm -hmm. To your point, you have to learn the organization. They have to learn you. But there are some ways you can minimize some of that. And uh, But there's, a, I think, a very deeply held fear about, oh, my God, we, we, we have to have this, you know, we have to have this new person in immediately. And so I just think it's, it's a conversation we have to continue to have. And I think it's yeah. wonderful that you have this example of how it can work and, and be successful. So thank you for willing to um, to talk about it and to write about it. Um, we're going to make sure that we have a link to um, the article on our website, as well as, of sure. course, a, a link to Rockwood Leadership. Again, that website is rockwoodleadership.org. And before we move to our listener questions, 
I want to just ask you what's coming up um, in the next year or so. It's the 20th anniversary of Rockwood. So what, 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 what shall we expect? Well, it's just like, first of all, it's just such a complete honor to be in the role that I'm in, to follow Akaya's leadership, to follow Robert Gass and Andre Carruthers, our founders, and the many trainers who were engaged with them in the very beginning. Um, I just feel especially honored to be in the role, period. But I feel especially honored to be in the role to, um, you know, kind of mark this important time for us. 20 years is a big deal. Um, Rockwood has reached somewhere near about eight, almost 8,000 people now. Um, and I feel like it's such an important time to be in the role. So I'm super excited. What I've decided now, my staff are like, oh dear, what does this mean? But I've decided that we should start celebrating, you know, immediately in the fall of, you know, this year and kind of go all the way till our 20th anniversary. I love that 20- idea. Why not? That yeah, Because that is yeah. really the culmination is, is next year. It really does right. start this year. You're in your 20th, right. you're moving to your 20th year. I love right. it. And, right. So that's, that's my idea. So, so what you, you'll see how, <laughs> how far my ideas go. If you start to see anything from us in the, in the <laughs> moving towards the fall, and then you'll see little bits and pieces over the entire year. And then we'll culminate in a, in a much bigger event, um, that we're still thinking about what we're going to do, but a much bigger event than in 2020 to mark that year. And I'm super excited that it's 2020 and it's 20 years. Nice. So That's going to nice yeah. work very nicely for design and all kinds of other things. I like it. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's go to our listener questions and um, we'll start with this one. Uh, this is from B. How do you separate your role and involvement in very closely related organizations as a board and a community member without letting that interfere with your work? How does one create respectful division? Should I only be working for one of the organizations? Meaning, you know, so she's a board member, um, but you know, often you, you can be on a board, but you also are bringing lots of other community relations and ties to the, to the organization um, for the board. How do, you, how do you have a respectful division? Yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciate that. I, I mean, I, you know, I might say something that's a little bit different or unusual, but I, I believe in um, full person, like bringing the all of me basically everywhere. And so what I try to do is I try to uh, develop the kinds of roles and relationships with the organizations that I'm involved with that are complementary to, you know, that where I'm in my on purpose and living out my purpose and that are complementary and don't, and don't feel like I have to make too many divisions. Um, of course I do make the basic ones like saying the name of the actual organization that I'm representing at the time that I'm representing that organization, but, but not, not a whole lot beyond that in terms of really making really super strong distinctions, except as guided by the, the, the organizations themselves. So I always respect, what's important to the organization. And for me, I'm a complex individual. I bring leadership to everything that I do. It's, you know, we're, we're human. We're complex. Our organizations are interconnected. Our work is interconnected. There's overlapping relationships. 
we have to learn how to move in the reality of the networks that we all exist in. I want to be able to both bring my full per- my full being to what I'm doing and also show up as a full person with all of the things that I'm engaged in to everything that I do. So that's okay. me. All right. And and I guess when you say, I, I just want to clarify, when you say, um, you know, sort of looking at what the organization requires, you're referring to maybe declaring any conflicts of interest that you might have. Absolutely. Right? That, Absolutely. That's, that's standard. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So it's like you might have a conflict of interest or it just it may not even rise to the level of conflict of interest. But, you know, and they know that it's just important for people to know everything that a board member or an advisory committee member is engaged in. So listing everything that you're actually doing or whatever they might, you know, suggest. I'm really open to those things. And I try to stay true to them, particularly around conflicts of interest. Yeah, that's what what my brain was. Okay, great. All right. So here's our, our Uh, Next question. Uh, This is from Claude. I am currently unemployed and considering taking a role with a previous employer. Hmm. I left the organization a few years ago on good terms, did some consulting, and have been invited back with a higher salary. The issue is I am having a hard time wrapping my head around being passionate about working there after already having my, in quotes, closure and moving on some years ago. I also know the organization well. And I have some issues with how they operate. I think I will find, I will probably find issues anywhere. So at least I know in advance what the issues are. Mm. Any advice? What do you think? Yeah, my initial advice for this, and thank you for um, sharing that complexity, Claude. I mean, I think my initial advice on this is just that for me, um, it's important to be on purpose. This is why it's one of our our core Mm -hmm. practices that we lead into. It's like purpose actually allows you to have the energy that's needed to do the work sometimes. And if it feels like this is a thousand percent on purpose for you, then all of the things that might come up, like you said, you know, you know, some of them, things are going to come up at any, any place you go anyway. So you'll be able to work through them if you're on purpose. Now, if you feel like you're kind of making it work for other reasons and it's not quite aligned those things that you mentioned will likely become larger, will loom larger for you when you get into it. So that's my, um, you know, way of thinking about it. At Rockwell, we try to not, we don't always have the benefit or the possibility to be a thousand percent on purpose at work. But if you do, if you can find the alignments between what's most important to you and whatever you're going to be doing and who you'll be doing it with in this work, um, I believe that you'll have a much better ride and you'll be able to deal with some of the other smaller things that might come up because it's where you belong. I love it. Well, I, I don't have anything to add to that. I completely agree with that. I think that's a perfect answer and a lovely way uh, to end our time together. It always goes so quickly. Um, we have been speaking with the CEO of the Rockwood, Rockwood Leadership Institute, Darlene Nipper, and that website is rockwoodleadership.org. Check it out. I can promise you there's something that you need to know or learn about on that website. Um, We are saying an early congratulations on the 20th anniversary, Darlene. Thank you. Thank thank you. you, Thank you for joining us on Gathering Ground. And thank you for all the work that you've done and all the work that I know you, you will be doing. Thank you, Mary, for all the work that you've done. Thank you for having me. And really, thank you for doing this podcast. It's an important one, and I'm so grateful for it. Well, until next time, everyone, this is Gathering Ground.